0: Hello and welcome to the United MEC leading edge podcast series. I'm the United MEC spokesman, Captain James Belton. Today we continue our series called piloting your mind. We have with us today SOAR volunteers, San Francisco 737 Captain Ham Bana, and Newark 787 First Officer Phil Jones. Hem, what did you do before United and when did you start here?
1: Yeah, so I started with United way back in the summer of 2000, and prior to that, I was a Horizon Airlines pilot up in the great northwest.
0: Can you tell us why you volunteer with the SOAR program?
1: You know, I I did the double furlough, and when I went through the uh, downturns of 9-11 and 2008, there really was no peer support or any kind of support. We sort of had to deal with the emotional fallout kind of on our own. And I, I volunteer because, you know, I know what it's like. And so this is an attempt to do better this time
0: around. Okay. Phil, welcome to The Leading Edge. Can you uh, tell us what you did prior to coming on with Continental, I believe? Uh, is that That's who you started with, right?
2: That's correct. Yes, I was an Army aviator for a number of years. Uh, flew for a couple of commuter airlines, then one uh, charter operator called Express One International, where I flew all three seats in the 727. Came over to Continental in 98. And uh, through this whole time, I've experienced uh, a couple of furloughs like him, three furloughs to be exact, and two bankruptcies along the way.
0: Phil, you're actually a licensed counselor in New Jersey, in addition to being a 787 pilot. When did you become licensed?
2: Uh, Became licensed as a licensed associate counselor, sort of like a journeyman in the trade, in 2016. And just this September, I achieved my full license as a licensed professional counselor in September. And the big difference there is now I can hang my own shingle
0: and uh, have my own business. What made you decide to start counseling?
2: Well, that's uh, a long and involved one, but the short one is I'm uh, at the glider club that I used to be a member of. And the tow pilot comes back to me, who was a licensed professional counselor, retired airline pilot, and former Vietnam F-4 pilot. And he said, you know, Jonesy, you'd be a good counselor. And I looked at him and said, where did this come from? So I hopped in the glider. We went off with my student, came back, and I talked to him a little bit later about it. And he explained the reasons why. I was coming out of retiring from the Army. I was on a, um, a LTD from, uh, from United and got a chance to um, take an intro course into counseling, similar to what uh, Hem is doing right now. And I fell in love with it. And I just absolutely fell in love with the, uh, the concept of education, helping people in psychology all mixed into one. And
0: do, you, that, do you find it difficult to uh, divide your time between flying and counseling? How do you do that?
2: No, I'm a pretty senior FO on the uh, 787. And I'm able to get my days off that I want uh, with ease and then still get good uh, flying seats. So it's really just putting the priority on the days off that I get so I can work with clients.
0: That's fantastic, I'm happy for you. Our topic for today's episode is very timely and it's about how to cope with change and uncertainty. Our industry and our business, uh, we're undergoing dramatic and rapid changes due to the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic fallout that we're seeing after that. Everything is different now. We have new procedures, new unfamiliar feelings and a great deal of uncertainty about the future of our industry and our careers. And the pace of change is unbelievable. Pilots were getting furloughed, and then they weren't. Many of us were displaced to new positions. Then those displacements were canceled. Many of us were line holders, and now we're on reserve again. So, an incredible amount of change in a short period of time. Uncertainty, and uh, it's it's all come at once. It seems. Hem. What would you like to say about that to begin?
1: Yeah, and you know. Many of us are also facing some really unfamiliar existential questions about what exactly our role in society is just because of the threat of fellows and displacement. So all of a sudden we're asking, hey, you know, if, if I'm not a pilot, if I'm not a captain, if I'm not a white body pilot, then what exactly
2: am I? Ham, that was well said. The old normal that we used to have is is likely gone forever, or at least for a long time. Everywhere we turn... There seems to be uh, we experience change or loss, whether it's seat position, schedule procedures, even the feel of when we go to the airport on layovers is different. I uh, recently had a 56 hour layover in Tel Aviv where I was locked in my hotel room the whole time. We go to Shanghai now. We have guards outside our door. Uh, Everything is different and no one really knows when we're going to get back to a new normal, even if we can call it that. So, we would all benefit from uh, adaptability and flexibility to change.
0: This uh, sounds very similar and feels like the resiliency that we've been talking about on previous Piloting Your Mind podcasts. What are the differences here?
2: Well, uh, Jim, that's great. That's a really good point to bring out. Resiliency is the ability to keep moving forward or bounce back from difficult situations and eventually emerge with a positive outcome. Now, this comes from a guy named Donald Meichenbaum. He's a PhD researcher and founder of cognitive behavioral therapy and worked extensively with rational emotive behavior therapy back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, And he recommends that we can do a bunch of things to do that. And if I could, if it's okay, if I'd like to share a couple of them real quick, and that's. Sharing your negative emotions. So for you on, in the video right now, you can see I've got a can of Coke right here, okay? And if I take this and shake it up right big right now, and I've, you know I let that go, what's going to happen? We all know it's going to go everywhere, right? But the idea is if you can share your negative emotion, if you can label it, okay, it's like and then tell somebody, another human being about it, it's like turning that valve nice and slow. It lets the pressure go before it goes up. You can also focus on the positive, and we'll talk about that later, or we can use direct or palliative actions. The direct action is what we're great at as a pilot, we all know what to do if we have an engine failure over the North Atlantic at night. Um, Or self-soothing, feel the feeling, this too shall pass, Um, I've controlled what I control. Now on the other side, you ask about adaptability. That comes from the great Jean Piaget, also a PhD. He used the theory of uh, cognitive uh, development. He says that we, uh, adaptability is our ability to adjust uh, to new information and experience. We do that in two ways as uh, people. We assimilate, and you've probably heard of the idea of schemas. And that's a, um, a mental category that we have, and we can fit it into that category, okay? Now, all of us here, since we've been flying for a few years, we remember the transition from round dials to glass from steamship. We used our pre-existing schema of how to fly instruments and put that in. Now, accommodation is when you have to develop a new schema. And for pilots, I think you can all remember when we said, let's do an R-Nav, RNP approach with an RF leg we didn't have anything to base that on and when we do that it's much more difficult so accommodation to something that we haven't experienced for is difficult that's our coping with change is hard and one other thing that i i wanted to go into was by our very nature our minds are biased toward the negative and why is that evolutionary survival dependent on it i posit that if we have a grog the caveman. And the first thing he does when he pulls back the uh, animal skin from his tent is not look up at the sky and go, wow, those are some really beautiful cumulus clouds today. You know, I would uh, say that he's looking left and he's looking right to make sure the saber-toothed tiger doesn't get him. So change is is, uh, inevitable. um, And at the risk of sounding like a motivational speaker, uh, the key is to embrace uh, the change despite the discomfort.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, Phil. Um, You know, there's a really popular analogy uh, for those of you who surf or live by the ocean. You know what a rip current is, right? So if you're if you're caught in one, you desperately want to get back to the shore and consider the shore being you know what's familiar, what's known, what's comforting, safe, and all those other things. But you can't get back to the shore by swimming into the current. You have to swim parallel to the shore and towards the unknown, basically, to reach safety. And then when you finally do get back to the shore. You're in a completely different spot than when you started.
0: As pilots, we are creatures of checklists and routine and procedure. Do our personalities in this particular role help or hinder us when coping with change?
1: You know, by, by, by our nature as high-achieving and motivated people, you know, we want to feel in control of our environment. You know, We have the skill to be able to look out and project the next five to ten steps. And we also have a great deal of resources at our disposal
0: to be able to influence things.
2: But uh, do we really have total control over our environment?
0: Yeah, is that uh, that an illusion of control or is it control?
2: Yeah, consider for a minute uh, the Target logo. Um, We know it has the three concentric uh, rings, okay? And Dr. Stephen Covey back, he was the gentleman who did the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he talked about uh, the ring of concern in the ring of control. And then eventually they put in the center, the ring of uh, direct control. We have things that we can influence. We have things that we have no control and things that we have direct control over. And the, the, uh, the thing that we have no control over, the easiest example of that is uh, what happened in the past.
1: Yeah. And if you think about the, uh, the target logo, you know, you notice which part of it is, is the smallest, right? It's that middle red little dot and that sort of represents basically the only thing we have total control over so when we think about our day at work and if we have like a perfect day at work you know it's it's not because we had total control over everything it's really because we could influence enough elements so that things sort of broke our way
2: Mm -hmm. yeah we benefit uh, when we shift our thinking away from believing that we have total control of our environment toward believing that unexpected changes are always a step away. Recognizing and becoming comfortable with this concept is a hugely important one, as it opens our minds up to being flexible and accepting of change.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And so now for the plot twist. Phil, could you tell us what that actually is?
2: Well, as pilots, we're really good with dealing with change and uncertainty. We just may not recognize it. By our nature as pilots, we're always naturally good at planning and adapting the changes that come along our way in our professional life, but not always in our personal life.
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So, you know, imagine for a second you get your monthly schedule and you see that you're going to spend the whole month flying only between your favorite two cities. You know, San Francisco to Honolulu or, or wherever, you know, pick your favorite city pairs. So is it realistic to believe that every flight will have the same conditions? You know, one day we might have sunny skies and calm winds and the next time stormy conditions and the next time low visibility and the next time some other issue. I mean, no one would realistically expect that because the flight last week had clear skies and calm winds, that the flight three weeks from now will also be clear and calm. And that's that's almost absurd when you think about it. So in our professional setting, we're actually really adaptive to our environment. And we're skilled at how we react to all the external forces in play, you know, whether a traffic control or those other things.
2: Well said, Hem, we do it naturally. There are no certainties in what we do. Fixating the idea that everything has to go according to plan every time is very unhelpful. Narrative therapy, one of the uh, 450 out there schools of therapy, talks about that we all have a story for events or our lives. And that stress is created when we have a story, we hold to it, like our flight's gonna go this way, and it doesn't, and that's what causes stress. The only real certainty that we have anywhere within life is that we can react to the challenges that are presented to us. Yeah, yeah.
1: and so, you know, another important ingredient in this, uh, to this recipe is the concept between wishing versus setting an intention. So, I'll, I'll pose this question to both of you in your capacity as airline pilots, right? So, imagine you're in cruise and everything's going great, and you look up and there's a giant supercell thunderstorm directly ahead. You know, would either one of you say, Wow, that's a large storm? I'm just going to pretend it's not there and carry on, and hopefully it'll dissipate before we get there.
0: Oh, that's not likely. Yeah. Uh, I'd imagine we'd follow our FOM guidance and experience and then. Uh not just sit there and take it. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, really nobody would. No, none of us would. Instead, we would set an intention, we'd make a plan, and we'd take corrective action. And you know, we're, we're really good at this. We do it every day at work. But as, as Phil mentioned earlier, in our daily lives, we tend to resort to wishing and hoping when we're faced with uncertainty
2: and change. Mm-hmm. And one thing I'd like to add on top of that is we go back to these, you know, common ego defense mechanisms of Anna Freud, Freud's youngest daughter. You know, there's denial. It's simply refusing to believe that an unpleasant reality exists. And in fact, uh, Mark Twain, our uh, noted humorist, uh, had a great comment for that: denial. It's not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> And in the airplane, we have, I just want to continue on, that we've got enough confidence in our abilities to overcome multiple variances and still safely complete our flight. We trust in our ability of our crew and ourselves to handle the unexpected changes during flight. This is a key concept towards becoming more adaptable to change, the ability to believe that you have the skills and the capability to handle uncertainty. You don't necessarily need to know what to do as long as you know you can do it. It's a subtle but important difference, similar to what I talked about earlier with Jean Piaget in the definition of adaptability.
0: So we do have the skills within us, but how do we scale that up uh, positively uh, to affect our lives in general? Phil, you mentioned uh, that that we don't, we have a little bit of a denial going on, and I saw this in fighter aviation. You maybe saw this in your army aviation that that some pilots, when they meet their maker, they die of that denial. They don't think that they're actually uh in need of ejecting out of the airplane or they're they're, they can't believe that they're going to run into controlled flood into terrain so how do we dial that up and 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 make sure that we avoid that in our normal lives
2: um i i think one of the things that we can do is we look about we look at reframing and to get, um, if we can move away from the fighter and the military analogy, more of what we do in uh, psychotherapy, it's the idea of cognitive reframing or looking at a situation from differently. I'm sure the pilots would look different if they could see the airplane barreling toward the terrain going, gee, I hope that guy pulls up, okay? We as therapists do a very, very similar thing, is that we'll, uh, for example, in my one of my offices that I work in, we have uh, two windows, okay? And there's a tree out there. And you can look at that tree from one direction and see that it's a pretty decent looking tree. You look at it from the other direction, you see it's sort of uh, beat up and it's got holes in the back. Change your view, you change your meaning, and your behavior changes.
1: So our brains are pre-wired from our historic days to associate uncertainty with danger, right? So when our caveman ancestors stumbled across a cave for potential shelter, you know, the, the amygdala in our brain activated the fight-or-flight reflex by saying, well, geez, that's a nice cave but what if there's a saber-toothed tiger in there that's about to eat me? So we're naturally, you know, even biologically predisposed to feel anxiety and fear in uncertain situations. Why? Because our ancestral survival depended on it. Today, thankfully, there are no saber-toothed tigers roaming around eating pilots, although 2020 is not over yet. <laughs> but the fear and anxiety that we feel when we face this newfound uncertainty in our careers and schedules, you know, that, that continues from our, our caveman days.
2: Um, I certainly hope I don't wake up and see a saber-toothed tiger out the door, but you never know. What balances out our amygdala, or Amy as we call it for short, is the prefrontal cortex, or so the PFC. And that's the executive decision-making part of our brain. Overcoming the fear and anxiety uh, response takes conscious thought, not superhuman strength. You talked about positive uncertainty. That's telling yourself that an uncertain situation does not automatically mean a bad outcome. That's good positive self-talk. The cave in Hems example could also be an empty source of shelter or to bring it home using another example, not having as fly as much might lead to better relationships at home.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, another nothing to note is that positive thinking doesn't mean that you just wish away what's going on or you ignore the reality of the situation. It just means that you have the optimism, the belief, and the faith that you will overcome whatever is going on in your life right now.
2: Yes, exactly. The goal is to associate change and uncertainty with positive feelings instead of, instead of negative ones, so the brain gravitates towards it. However, one of the things that we have to do is we have to val- validate or, as I like to say in therapy sessions, embrace the suck. I don't like this, but I can stand it. I will get over it, and I can make change, and I can live
0: with it. People do this often. I mean, uh, pilots, especially. I'm one of them. We we tend to get bogged down in the negative. We like we like to complain. It feels like a comfortable spot, uh, uh-huh. uh, especially when we're we deal with uncertainty. How do we combat that tendency? What's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah. So you know, one thing you can try to do is become like a like a thought quality inspector, for example. So I don't know, if you've ever watched YouTube footage of like a factory floor, and usually at the end of this big, long assembly process, there's often a guy or a girl, and they're inspecting each little widget that comes off the assembly line. And then he or she either allows the good products to continue or removes the defective ones, they get reworked and placed back into the assembly line. So if you use that same model, you can inspect and challenge each thought in this exact same manner. So when a destructive thought comes by, such as, you know, hey, I'm not good enough, or I can't believe this is happening, or this will never work, or I'm too old. And I feel it's going to go over a couple more here in just a second. You know, take that thought, remove it, and challenge it. And ask yourself, okay, what critical evidence do I have that I can't do X, or that my age is an issue, or that this change is really bad? And really call that out on the carpet. And after it's been challenged and reworked, then allow it back into your thought process.
0: So what are some of the examples of the, say, the most common destructive thoughts that we should be aware of?
2: Well, there's a couple, but I want to elaborate on Hem's talk about challenging it. And since a lot of us have teenagers right now, I want we can challenge these automatic negative thoughts just like a teenager challenges us. And that's the gusto you need to go at them to get them corrected. Here are three ones that are very, very common. This comes from the work of Aaron Beck. Uh, who's one of the, the founder of the, of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And the first one is, and I'll give uh, the antidote for each one is focusing on the negative. Okay. The, The antidote is look for good. So for example, no longer being a captain is the worst thing and I'll never be happy again. Well, say I can be a first officer and I can enjoy international flying. There's, there's a difference there. Fortune telling, predicting the worst possible in a situation, the antidote, antidote, predict a better situation. An example for us would be, I'm gonna get furloughed and then my family is gonna be homeless and on the street, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm gonna get furloughed, it's happened to a lot of people in the industry, I don't like it, however, I'm a smart guy, I'm a pilot, I'm gonna be able to feed my family and take care of myself because where there's a will, there's a way, okay? Blame, um, you can put insert the name of anything in there, It's that's fault that I'm in this situation. The antidote for that is taking responsibility. And if you take a look at the uh, root of the word responsibility, it's respond. If you're responsible, you have the ability to respond.
0: We have a a tendency to fixate and ruminate, if you will, on all things that we've lost, such as uh, maybe a captain seat, wide body flying, or uh, the fact that we have to commute, particularly money lately. Um, What are other steps that pilots can help to uh, cope with the uncertainty and the change?
2: Well, the other things we can do is we can start with small steps. And a question for both you, him, and uh, Jim is how do you eat an elephant? One, One bite at a time. At a time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Is that with or without hot sauce? I've always. Played.
0: Yeah, I read a, I read ahead on the script. so.
2: <laughs> but do you use hot sauce? Okay. Yeah. Um, trying to process whole scale change is entirely overwhelming. Instead, if we focus on small steps and look for the small wins and then pat ourselves on the back and congratulate ourselves, we keep on telling ourselves it makes the process much easier. And it really it makes the process possible. Consider when we fly between our two favorite cities. Are we focused on the we're focused on the immediate next steps. It's what we do now in three minutes, five minutes, 15, 30, an hour and a half. Um, as we push the power up for takeoff, no one's worrying about whether the jet, dri- <laughs> the jet bridge driver is uh, gonna be ready at our destination. We break things down. Breaking down large changes into smaller, more manageable changes allows us to celebrate smaller but more frequent vis- victories. And this in turn increases our comfort with uncertainty our flexibility. Just like we do with C- CRM and TEM, when we do the debrief, we celebrate those uh, things that we did well. We can also visualize your success and as a military pilot, and I'm sure you remember a chair flying uh, was a way that we did things. Okay. Absolutely. We had a rich tradition. Well, that's just visualization. Okay. Another example would be we look where we go. So as a kayaker, kayaker running down a whitewater river, if you look at the rock in the center of the river, where are you going to go? You're going to hit the rock. If you look where you want to go, you're going to go that direction. So visualization is that, it's visualizing, it promotes your mental flexibility by associating the change with success. You see where you go, and your mind will take you there.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's exactly right, it's very well said. So another thing we can do is, is, is really try to focus on the future. And very often, you know, just as, as people, we try to figure out what's ahead of us by looking behind us. And the reason we do that is because the path behind us is what we already know. And because we're pre-wired to associate uncertainty with danger, you know, looking backwards is comforting, right? It satisfies our brain's desire for safety and comfort. But if you think about it, this is also like driving a car just by looking at the rearview mirror. And it leads to some really flawed assumptions and thinking, right? I mean, no one would drive down the road, looking in the rearview mirror and tell themselves, hey, you know, the road behind me was straight. Therefore, the road ahead of me should be straight. I mean, that, that's, that's almost crazy. But how many times have you heard somebody say this? Well, this is the way I've always done things. So this is the way I'll always do them. Right. And we hear that all the time. And that's not focusing on, on, on the future. And the other thing we can do is uh, accept that mistakes and false starts are just part of the process. You know, when, when we dwell on them and we rehash our mistakes, it really leaves us stuck in the past. And, and basically, we're trying to look forward. Our goal is to see changes, our opportunity to try and experience new things. You know, it doesn't automatically mean that we'll like them or that we should like them, but at the very least, we should be open to the possibility, right? Um, You know, it reminds me of that Michael Jordan quote back in the 90s, you you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. So it's something very similar here, right? Uh, The other thing uh, is, that gets in our way is you know this, this idea that we have to be perfect all the time and trying to be perfect all the time is impossible you know admit to yourself that we're all imperfect people with imperfect success
2: exactly him and that's called unconditional self-acceptance in the psych world but it's also important with this to trust yourself um, each of us has an inner wisdom. Kids are the, really the best at displaying that. Adults, we go with the Dr. Spock logical, but it's that inner voice that you hear. And it's easy to get stuck ruminating about what we've lost and keep on chewing over it and over it and again, and it doesn't get any better. It just gets more acid in it and it hurts more. If we allow an appropriate amount of time to grieve for the loss of the career expectations that we all thought were going to be there for us, such as losing a captaincy. seat, or is more than just going down from four strikes to three, it's about how we see and value ourselves as people. But don't underestimate your ability to find new solutions. Um, one of the things, I did a, a, a paper for the, the SOAR volunteers a while back called When Normalization of Deviation is a Good Thing. It's all about the grief and loss process that uh, Kubler-Ross did back in the 60s, which has stood the test of time that it's important to grieve the losses that we do have Um, but be careful when we do this that we this what could have been thinking or the um if only or what if once again this kind of thinking keeps us trapped in the past instead of looking forward and looking for new opportunities remind yourself when shifting sands uh that the shifting sands are a normal part of life and that's okay to rework your thinking midstream
1: yeah, that's that's uh, very well said. So two more that I'll mention are gratitude and having a good social support system. You know, and, and gratitude is a great foundation from which to build upon. You know, it doesn't have to be something huge or big, just a, a few things that went right on any particular day that you can actually take notice of. You know, let's say you're, you're flying over the Rockies during sunset and you, you get to see this brilliant picture ahead of you or you're sitting on your backyard in a nice fall evening or you're enjoying your significant other or your kids. I mean, it, just small things that you can notice that you can say, hey, I'm grateful for this moment. Now, if you, if you, if you really wanted to go to the next level, you could get a gratitude journal and write everything down. But uh, that's like top shelf stuff. You, know, you can just take a mental note if, uh, of, of good gratitude moments. And really the goal is to cultivate gratitude. And when we do that in uncertain times, it allows us to associate uncertainty with positive feelings. And when we do that, we increase our comfort and our flexibility with change. And then uh, finally, you know, find and support other pilots who are going through the same thing you are.
2: But can we add a caveat to that? It's important to associate with people who will provide support and create a sense of calmness and safety. Associating with people who only just commiserate will spin you up and not be helpful. It's like being in a campfire. Do you want to keep on throwing another log on the fire? Or do you want somebody who's going to pull the logs apart, lessen up the frame, and let things go die down slowly? All of these t- uh, tips that we've talked about so far today take practice and conscious thought. Too, similar to the way in the cockpit we use deliberate practice to increase our performance. Initially success is limited, but with time and repeti- repetition of these concepts, everything will become more in- ingrained and hopefully automatic for you.
1: Yeah. You know, you really need to think of this more as a, as a, as a marathon as opposed to a, a sprint to the finish line. So, uh, you know, we'd like to close with a couple quotes because I think are, are, are particularly telling for, for our times that we're in. And the, the first one is from a gentleman named Viktor Frankl. So if you don't know who Viktor Frankl is or was, he was an Austrian psychologist born in 1905 and a Holocaust survivor. He spent three years in Auschwitz from 1942 to 1945. And a year after his liberation in 1946, he wrote this incredible book called Man's Search for Meaning, in which he described his experiences in the camp.
2: And one of the things that uh, Viktor Frankl wrote in the prologue is that he didn't want the book to be just a recounting of who did what and when, but rather a psychological examination of what happens to people when literally everything is taken from them. He writes, and I quote, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose his own way.
1: Yeah, that's it's a great quote. And, and that's a, Man's Search for Meaning is it's a great book if, if you haven't read it. And for, for the second quote, um, you know, a couple of Piloting Your Minds ago, we discussed how POWs in Vietnam used uh, Frankel's beliefs to help him cope with their imprisonment and subsequent mental health recovery. And w- one of the outcroppings of that was a book called Lessons from the Hanoi Hilton. And there's a really good quotes in there as well. So I'll read here, it's a quote, that solitary choice or sense of control is a powerful antidote to helplessness and despair. One that scientists frequently cite as a major contributor to mental health and an individual's personal hardiness.
2: Both quotes reflect the idea that no matter how bad things get, whether it's a downgrade to first officer or or a different commute or a change in personal finance or an airline-induced relationship issue or the possibility of furlough, we always have control over how we react to the chaos surrounding us. And holding on to this one bit of certainty in an uncertain world can make all the difference in our world.
0: Gentlemen, I began this podcast mentioning an incredible amount of change, uncertainty in, uh, in a very, very short period of time for all of us here at United. I found this discussion to be fascinating and, I, and helpful, and I expect our listeners will as well. So for, uh, for you listening, thank you for tuning into the United MEC Leading Edge podcast, especially the Piloting Your Mind series. To our guests, Hembana and Phil Jones, we greatly appreciate your time and talent. So thank you very much. On behalf of the United MEC and all of our ALPA volunteers, fly safe and stay healthy. I'm Captain James Bell.